Hey, everybody. Look, Alice is here. Hey, Alice. We got Bob, Phil, and Neef tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where is Alice? Yeah, there she is. She's looking at us with her creepy <laughs> big eyes. You're kind of you're kind of weird, Alice. Like, I'm just being honest. Boys, boys still like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just um, you know, stay stay over there. You know. <laughs> so um, I've been um, I've been into Hendrix lately, and that's Neef's fault. Um, he, um, we, uh, <laughs> so I want to talk first, let's, let's talk about the, um, album cover for Axis. Uh, what is it? Axis of love. It's Axis. Bold is love. Bold is love. Bold is love. That's it. Yeah. So, you know, what I'm talking about Bob. Second Jimi Hendrix experience studio release. Hmm. Is what that is. It's the second. They they only Jimmy Hendrix Experience only actually released three records. Hmm. Interesting. Jimmy, yeah, you know, I mean, very very short career. Hmm. That's I. It's one of those things. It's like you know, everyone knows who Jimi Hendrix is, but it's only recently here that I've I've started really listening to him and like the things he sang, which. Uh, Neef and I have also just been going down a rabbit hole about uh, Hinduism and different deities. And uh, he, he has a concept in Bold is Love of all these different emotions and colors. And people are made up of these arrays of different colors and that's what drives them. But there's a, a fear around, around love, around boldly loving, you know? And that's, that's that message of that song, which um, it's, it's easy, easier to be bold and angry. It's easier to, to get mad and be and, and and voice that it's harder to openly love boldly you know and that's i think that's something you know some people are better at it than others and i think that's it's probably a, a development thing like different i think that's what he means when he's saying bold as love because of it, it takes a very boldness mm. to express love you know it's it, it's like you're saying it's really easy to just say f off and that's stupid or whatever even if you don't mean it but it's very hard to to convince somebody you know boldly about love and i've been thinking about that neef like why is love difficult and I think for at least the reason, the answer for me, if I'm just being, you know, honest with myself, introspection, the reason is because of fear. Like, we're afraid to be too open because in the past we've all been hurt, you know? Someone down the line has betrayed your trust. I think that's, that's sort of a human story. We can all probably relate to that, where it's like you've opened yourself up and then... Um, exposed yourself and were hurt and that's why 
I think a lot of people have a problem with it. It's, it, we, we really should, in the face of fear and pain, just live anyway, right? Instead of hiding. It's like, if the world's going to chew you up and spit you out, just let it do that. You can't cower away from it. Or at least we ought not to, I think. And that's a part of art also, is like, that's facing the music, that's facing the pain of your, like dealing with yourself, like identifying it instead of running away from it. It's like, I'd say real art is, you know, not, not like superficial radio hits. Well, I mean, you know, art as what we consider to be art, you know, the definition of art, somebody would argue with you quickly and say, well, you know, if it's put out with expression, it's art. But <clears throat> yeah, integrity, I think, is the, you know, something maintains integrity. Yeah. It's, you know, not superficial, not. Right. Not sold out for the book. Yeah. And, and, and like speaking as a poet, you, you can probably, you, it, it, <laughs> to some, you probably know what I'm talking about, Bob, but like it's, it's easier for me to write something angry than it is for me to write something vulnerable. And I, I push myself to write more vulnerable things. Um, but if you're going to, if you're going to expose an aspect of yourself, it's easier if that aspect is uh, not fragile, you know? That, they, that takes that takes boldness, you know, to be fragile. Yeah, well, that's I mean, there's also like um, uh, just historically, like uh, the word courting. We're talking about like I'm courting Jane, you know, we're dating. That's the that's the original term that we used when we talked about like. I'm dating this woman or this man and I'm romantically involved with them. I'm, I'm courting this person. And we got that word from the court, the Royal court, because in the late middle ages and the early Renaissance, somebody had the idea that it would be a game that we would play. And all of the young courtiers would be matched up sometimes randomly, sometimes choosing it. They'd be matched up and it was a game that they would play in the court for the king's pleasure or the queen's pleasure um, Interesting. to see how these sudden newfound random relationships evolved throughout the evening. Mm. And the king or the queen would get to preside over this game and watch the results and, and chuckle, you know, as it went down. Prior to that, the whole concept of romantic love wasn't something that we even had words for in language. Oh, wow. We didn't talk about it. It wasn't a thing. You didn't get married because you were romantically involved with the person. You got married because it was good for business. It's wow. a business partnership. Always, every single time, from the, from, from the peasant all the way up to the royalty. Marriage was a business proposition. It wasn't romantic love. And 
when until we get into like the romance era and whatnot, when courting it was invented as a game to see who who at the end of the night might end up so attracted to their randomly chose partner that they can't part ways. Hmm. Wouldn't that be fun to see? It was a sadistic game. And out of that, there were people who followed through with it and ended up dating outside of the court much to the chagrin of their parents or whatnot, like the Duke did not want his daughter, like it was fun for a night. But no, mother, I will not marry the Duke. I'm going not to marry be marrying that man. <laughs> oh, but father, I fell in love with him. And so this whole concept came up. And so we ended up with the whole courting. No, a daughter of mine now, is gonna marry a stable boy. Yeah, yeah, which now, which now we call it, we just call it dating. You must not yeah. go beneath your station. That's that's interesting, Bob. I never, I didn't know that. I, I thought, I don't know what I thought. I guess, I guess, I guess I thought love was intrinsic. I guess not. <laughs> I think I mean, it is, but is I think romantic? my point, my point is that is that with the whole game aspect of courting and the romantic love involved in that that our inability to express love readily is a cultural byproduct of the fact that it began as a fucking game to entertain the royalty. Mm. So we come back around to what you were saying and what you, what you started with. It's like it's bold to express love. But when we are raised in this atmosphere where expressing that kind of love is just a it's a game for the night to entertain the king it becomes taboo mm. to express that love or those kinds of feelings readily because we're not in the court right now yeah so in, yeah so so i can't just sit here and tell you you know i have all these romantic feelings for you because we're not in the court anymore. The game is over. The game ended at midnight last night. And now it's the next day. That is fucking cruel. You're right. It's a cultural issue that goes oh. back hundreds of years, dude. Damn. Like there's origins for this whole concept that expressing love is a bold thing to do. Right. Because expressing it outside of the context of the game of wow. courting was taboo fuck <laughs> i'm glad i brought it up now <laughs> wow, yeah. that's a neat subject man yeah. it's a really neat subject you know and then and then of course we get like you know poets like byron and whatnot that came came out of this and and um and writing love poems and of course shakespeare coming out of it writing his sonnets and this sort of thing and he's like he's writing some sonnets to like perhaps women that never actually even existed mm -hmm. yeah or perhaps to one that he met in the court or an amalgamation like, of all these people he knew culminating into one one character yeah i mean yeah well, oh well yeah, exactly exactly i was just gonna bring up beatrice in dante's inferno 
and the Dante in the, in the Divine Comedy, where where he goes through hell and he gets lost in the woods and Virgil guides him through hell. He makes his way through Purgatory in Book Two, makes his way all the way to Paradiso in Book Three, and who does he arrive at at the end of it? Not God, Beatrice, the woman that he fell in love with during courting ceremony to play a fucking game for the king. Oh. And he wrote this whole trilogy about his love for this woman and there's no sign. They, they never they never met outside the court. They never met again. They never fell in. They never, they never got married or anything like that. But he was in this situation where he fell in love with so, this woman no. this one night. So Dante's The Divine Comedy, that trilogy, is a love story based on a one-night stand. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Essentially, whether or not they actually did have sex, but yeah, it was yeah, it was it was it was a one-off. It was a one-off, and he he couldn't wow. let it go. He couldn't that, let it. Because and, and that, yeah, those times hanging time. out all night was, you know, might as well was kind of like putting on that level. You know, did y'all hook up? Well, yeah, you hung out together all night, you know, because like you're saying, sex was for copulation, like marriage was for business. You know, you had a dowry and you got traded cattle and shit. And, you know, I mean, it's all, all cultures. It's not just one religious culture either. You know, all these different tribes all over the place would have, I was watching something about, um, it was a girl in an African village. And she was being, it was a documentary just on these people. And one of the things going on was they were <laughs> marrying one of their girls to another tribe, a tribe. And she was, at, they were talking to her and she was actually upset because she had a boyfriend from her tribe and <clears throat> nobody cared. It didn't matter. Didn't matter. Didn't, didn't matter. matter. It wasn't good for business. They, and they weren't even worried about that she had the boyfriend. They were fine with that when she had the boyfriend, but it was like, okay, it's done now because you're going to this other tribe. You got to marry this dude. <laughs> and on that, they were bringing a bunch of oxen. I think it was oxen or cattle, uh, whatever, you know. I was, I was just going to say, the guy you're marrying has 10 goats, but the guy right. that you he, love it only has two goats. He's, so he's, sorry. He's, he's in our tribe. And he ain't really doing much any. There's no need. He's. We need him to go hunt. We need you to go marry this dude in the tribe because that will connect the tribes. You know, yep. this has nothing to do with your feelings. And I'm trading a bunch of goats or a bunch of, you know, oxen or whatever with you. It's costing me a lot to give the, you know, which is a lot of where the, the idea of the patriarch comes in. You know, they say, you know, women were looked like, like they weren't worth anything. But actually, the big problem was is that they were only looked at like they had this worth, you know. They were just so, for business transactions. Right. You know, it was like, well, I have a daughter. She can't carry my name. And or even on the tribal level, she's not going to go out and hunt, you know. So, so you know, this is sort of yeah. this is sort of related uh, I just watched a documentary on on Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. Mm. I didn't know any of that story, and but but it's funny because what we're talking about reminds me of that because they were together out of love, and I guess there were p political things. To, who was she with before Mark Anthony? It was uh, 
I can't remember now. She was with Mark Anthony because she had feelings for him, though. And he 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 had left his entire family behind to go be with her. And then he had gone off to fight, basically fight a war for her. And she didn't well, see him for three years. But he was also a conqueror as it was. Right, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. it was kind of... And that, know, not, like, yeah, did he not do it for her, her or did he was he yeah. just gonna be doing that anyway? And part of his conquering in Egypt was to build that alliance. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's something that goes so far back, it's hard to even say that they had love between each other as we understand. You know what I'm saying? I they, I guess they might have what I watched was kind of romanticized. It was yeah. You know, yeah. now, you know, it's, I mean, but it's, it's not to say that that couldn't have been the case, you know, yeah. but it's when you have such that high profile of a situation, I mean, for God's sake, we still, we're still talking about that relationship this day in history, right. but yeah. it was more than just the two of them as a relationship. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, this is a great story. This was a massive change in history because of two people hooking up as yeah. to say you know pretty much and that's really why that's really the argument behind when you look at that form of marriage you know it's like oh that's horrible why would you be trading each other off well the argument behind that is out on the tundra you know you got to do what you got to do and mm -hmm. you know a lot of situations you got to think of a bigger tribe could overtake your tribe you would rather marry off one of your daughters to them and be at peace and part of them than wait till their warriors come in and fucking kill you all and rape your women you know i got so you it's it's also um um a really perfect example of this goes right back into it is helen of troy yeah i yeah. mean i mean the, the mythology the mythology from thousands of years ago directly points at boldly expressing love boldly chasing after love starts wars yeah yeah and people get decimated as a result yeah like i mean if that's not if that's not anti-expression of love propaganda then what is right yeah i mean it goes back it goes way back i think um so according to what i was the documentary i was watching uh, Mark Anthony had received a letter written by Cleopatra um, basically saying that her she she had no choice like she was in dire circumstances and she was going to take her own life which uh, Mark Anthony fell on his sword after hearing that and died a couple days later so his body was taken to be buried with her but something had happened and she hadn't actually died she'd written that letter but she hadn't taken her life and so it's <laughs> what i'm getting at is it's romeo and juliet yeah, it's romeo and juliet i mean romeo and juliet is shakespeare's commentary on court on courtly love right and the problems that the problems that come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. They fell in love at a party to entertain the royalty. And it was it was very entertaining because it was rival households to begin with. 
one one and big instead of instead joke. of and he was kind of showing instead of he was showing the absurdity of it because he was saying well everybody's marrying each other to connect houses let me show the bad side of like how that can really not be a good thing if you let me reciprocate that and say well instead of two houses that want to join and two kids that don't want to marry let me just flip the script on it and say two houses that don't want shit to do each with each other but their kids want to join yeah and it, and it would be a positive thing for the households but we're going to show how that kind of influence is going to fuck it up because they don't keep their passions in check yeah and it's a comment it's a comment on the irony of it all it's uh, this well the, i mean the the absurdity and the stupidity of it all of not being able to express love right you know, yeah. and it's, I mean, so Shakespeare was definitely, definitely commenting on what, on what was initially called courtly love. Mm. Yeah. Courtly love. Yeah. <laughs> Not it's to be still, confused. It still has with... a ring to it, doesn't it? <laughs> it's very courtly. <clears throat> My love for her was merely courtly. It's, it's funny to think of romantic dating as a trend that caught on because that seems so foreign well, it seems like, so foreign to today it's well, like, I mean, some, at, at some point somebody eventually got the idea that hey this courtly they, love yeah. this courtly love game can be fun every friday we don't really need to do it <laughs> in the actual court now we have you know Holy shit <gasps> Yeah, so we can. Wow, I mean, I would love to. I would love to meet the person or the, the couple. I'm sure it was a couple. It was. It had to have been a couple, where where the, the young man, the young woman, were like, were like. It was like an epiphany, like <laughs> fucking, like a yeah. like you were talking about psychedelics at the beginning. Like it was like some sign of kind of like psychedelic epiphany where they're sitting there oh. in the garden and they're like holy shit, we don't actually have to wait until the next court arrangement to hang out. Yeah. Fuck. We could see each other every day. And then the speakeasy wow. was bored. Whoa. I wonder if we're going to call it. <laughs> so like... The club. <laughs> so... Um, oh, what was I just about to say? Um. Damn it! Really, really quick while you're thinking, maybe yeah. this will serve as a segue. So, in speaking of this, like, I mean, everything started somewhere. So, the whole idea of like dating outside of the court without the king's approval at a game, ooh, a specific <laughs> scandalous. We, we, we can do that. That's scandalous, but we can. We just have the idea. You know, and so everything starts somewhere. So I have this theory. I have this theory <laughs> that the wheel was invented by some hunter gatherer who stepped on a fallen log in the forest and it rolled out from under him. And he fell on his ass. He got the wind knocked out of him and he realized, holy shit, a rolling piece of wood moves weight that easily bam now we've got the wheel 
That's my guess. It was a hunting accident. I think, I honestly think the wheel was invented as a result of a hunting accident. Some dude busted his ass when he stepped on a log chasing after a deer. Nice. <laughs> I um I still don't remember what I was gonna talk about, but you were talking about the that that couple that that saw that in each other, like and and had that epiphany. Yeah. It started it got me thinking about the shining, you know. That's what I call that um when people say love at first sight or we just clicked or uh even like, um, not even just a romantic thing, but when you walk into a place for the first time, a bar, and you just get this atmosphere, like it's, it's familiar, even though you've never been there. I'm romanticizing, you know, places, people, um, objects, but anytime you do this, that's, that's the shining, an unspoken telep telepathic. Right. Um, you get that a lot in music. The spark. Yes, uh, it's, it's, yes totally, right. it's totally telepathic, and that shit happens. I don't know if you hang out in bars a lot, but man, I I did it for way too long, and it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I swear to God, you can be totally zoned out, staring at a football game with a cigarette hanging out of your mouth, and you're half drunk, and you just know there's somebody behind you, twenty feet away, that's staring right at the back of your head, and you turn around and you immediately make eye contact because they're 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 still looking at you. Like you feel that shit all the time, and it happens a lot in bars because in bars people everybody's half drunk, so they just kind of like let go of their inhibitions and all that kind of stuff, and so so they 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 they, they tend to um more readily trust their intuition. That's yeah, the intuition comes out as a result of being that kind of mm. you know booze laden intoxicated and whatnot you know and yeah you turn around and boom you immediately make eye contact it's like the first thing you see first thing you look at is right in that other person's eyes because you knew you could feel it in the hairs on the back of your neck somebody's looking at you and it happens yeah so often and even as a bartender i would witness other people doing it i'm not just talking about just it happening to myself like as mm -hmm. a bartender a, a former bartender like i mean i would see that shit happen to people all the time hmm. it's yeah yeah it, with people places objects a book a song yeah it's Okay, so um, now <clears throat> throw psychedelics into the mix, throw mushrooms into the mix, and you have some real telepathy going on. It's, uh, I mean, I'm talking from experience here. I don't know how much experience you have with, with that kind of thing, but um, I've I've carried on conversations without words, and it's 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 an eye contact thing. I think it's a it's a moment of recognition when you both see something and you both realize that you're seeing the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like in a, in an instant you realize you're both you both see something and you're both aware that you both saw it. Mm -hmm. and that, that's really the best way I could explain that but 
it's yeah. like it's like i mean i i don't i've never dabbled i've never been one to dabble in hallucinogens too much um uh i've always tended to be much more interested in in like um in in lucid dreams in like mm. how to um how to because your brain naturally produces dmt mm -hmm. and there's the uh there's the theory that when you see the white light at the end of the tunnel um on your on your deathbed that um it's a it's a dmt hallucinate hallucinations that your 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 brain is overproducing the dmt momentarily in order to comfort you on your way out um yeah and so um i i've i'm of i'm of the mind i i follow i follow in the school of thought that um lucid dreaming is basically it's it's uh you're using meditation to boost your dmt production naturally um and and then it gets even more exponential once you start getting into astral projection and it's basically you're having natural overly produced dmt production in your brain that's to hallucinate and feel like you're outside of your body and all this all this kind of stuff but uh, my buddy and i um we did uh we did salvia a couple of times in, in, in college <laughs> oh boy when I, in, when I was in graduate school and we got like this like 10 times potency salvia yep. and i yep. only did it twice and the first the first time was it was funny i was sitting on a sofa outside of my my buddy's house and then i smoked it and then there was all this construction equipment across the street like caterpillars and all that kind of stuff bulldozers and whatnot you know um and like caterpillars as in like the the company that makes the bulldozers and shit the big yellow vehicles uh, yeah, yeah 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 and um and i saw the earth crack open and this green face came out like <laughs> i had just gotten a green man tattoo on my arm and then like just a couple weeks earlier and so i'm sitting on a sofa and i see this green woman just like my tattoo except she had tits she comes out of this crevice in the earth and she looks at me and she's like don't worry about all those bulldozers it all came from me they're just as natural as the stuff you're smoking whoa and that was it and then she went back into the ground and i was like bulldozers are natural they're organic <laughs> that's so cool <laughs> yeah but the more important experience was the next time when i was sitting there with my buddy and and he, he takes a big hit and i immediately take a big hit and he's sitting on my foot futon indian style like um like lotus position shit and i'm sitting on the armrest of the of, of, of the futon and I look over at him and I just start bust out laughing. It was like I suddenly understand the cosmic joke of how the human body is capable of contorting into the lotus position <laughs> and why it's necessary for deep meditation in Buddhism and all that kind of stuff. And it was just so Damn. absurd. And I'll never, I'll never forget it. And he looked at me and he immediately understood. He was like, you understand why I'm sitting like this? Like, yes, yes, <laughs> I do. And then that was it. That was the end. That of sounds it. Like, it like like that. Like telepathy. Salvia only lasts like thirty seconds. Dude. Yeah, it's the stupidest shit ever. But I mean, it was fun. I have never, fun. 
never in my life gotten anything that profound from salvia like really? god that god, oh. god damn my my oh. salvia experience is just fucking was, weird it was silly it's silly shit dude it's silly shit yeah. like i mean what i would really like to do and and, and th that's the extent of all my hallucinogen use um Hmm. What I what I would really like to do is I'd, I'd really like to go into the Amazon for three days and do ayahuasca hmm. and maybe I can quit being an addict. Apparently it helps with that. Yes. That's yes. what I've heard. I think I think we're, you know, going to have to end up like doing a rabbit hole field trip into the fucking Amazon. Oh, fuck. We, yeah. we, we we should with with the with whole you, goddamn with, crew with you guys i would actually be honestly very interested and more importantly very comfortable trying mushrooms for the first time and acid for the first time if oh, we are uh, if oh we don't say that to a, me bob make a plan make a plan to do that <laughs> i think i would actually feel comfortable with you guys on that that's that's that that's not the suggested um request at the tea table but you know. <laughs> Sorry, did I say that publicly? Oh no, it's. <laughs> I mean, come on, man! It's the 21st century. Oh yeah. I um. So okay, all right. We're talking about psychedelics now. Why are psychedelics illegal? Does anyone have a good answer? Oh. Anyone got not, a good answer? Not Wait, all. So, of, not I didn't all catch that. Are. Why are psychedelics what? illegal not all of them oh. are okay well let me uh the ones that are they're very effective <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. that's exactly that's right it. i mean i mean it's a laughing matter but keith is keith is right on point no, on that he's right it's the it's the exact reason why they are illegal is because we because because we're too afraid to let mature adults explore their own minds freely and independently because that's scary it's to, scary to the man yep. <laughs> you know, like, there's, it, there's no money to be made if i can grow my own medicine mm -hmm. per se mm -hmm. and there's really no money to be made if not only can i grow my own medicine i only need to take it once a year you know, you're talking about, you know, you're talking about putting a whole lot of an industry, or you're pretty much killing an entire industry in a medical field when you start messing with that. You know, that's why they don't want it. Mm -hmm. You know, head drugs don't fix you. They and fix. So, okay, this is the only reason I can think of. I, I legitimately, like, I, I think about this a lot. That, that's the only reason I can think of that they're illegal. And I mean, the, I mean, okay. So like, um, you guys know why cannabis is illegal? <laughs> it's political. Is is political. It was, uh, what was it? Was it Nixon or Reagan? Who did the no, war on drugs? Well, Reagan did the war on drugs, but cannabis being illegal goes further back. You're talking about oh. originally the ta tax stamp. There's a tax act when it used to be legal back in like the 40s. And you had DuPont out this at Rayon City, right here. You had DuPont coming out with a synthetic fiber called, uh, I guess that would have been what Rayon was, but it was a polythene. It was a plastic, basically. And it rivaled the strength of 
almost every other natural fiber. The only thing that really didn't rival was hemp. Nothing is nothing in nature when you make rope and shit. Pretty much, I don't think there's anything in nature that's stronger than hemp. It, I mean, mm-hmm. it's what it's what they made everything out of back in the day. That's what got the ships over here with their ropes and their sails and you know our paper. All of it. it was all hemp. Very very strong, very versatile. Well, when you have a company that's huge that really wants to push a product that can get outdone by something you can grow. And that is also an agricultural thing. It's a huge agricultural plant. So it's lobbyists. <laughs> well, he got with a, uh, DuPont got with a religious activist. I don't remember all their names. I mean, you can look this up and it's a whole, that's what Reefer Madness was all about. They put that <laughs> video out to, they put that video out to try to scare people. You yeah. Know, that, you know, those, those jazz cigarettes, those jazz musicians are going to come rape your, your, your daughters and get them high on the marijuana, you know. And your white daughter is enjoying black music. Yeah. That's yeah. Fuck. That's what it really is, reefer. right? Yeah, I hope she's not I mean, there was, no, there was literally a scene in Reefer Madness about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It was, it's, you know, and all it was was him trying to he got this uh, religious guy who Can, didn't like hold it. Hold on, let me let me stop you. Can someone fill me in on what reefer madness is? It was a it was a propaganda video done in in was it was it was it the fifties? I want to say fifties oh, wow. or yeah, 50s, early fifties. It was done in the fifties, and it was like it was like here are all these innocent, nice nineteen fifties white picket fence youngins, and they're off at a jazz club, and now they're and smoking this dude shows reefer. up and is like, y'all should try this. And, and then, then, I mean, they go nuts. But it's how long is it? Long, oh, long story like short, thirty minutes or something. Okay. Yeah, uh, long story short, they end up in a car. I think it's a convertible, if I'm not mistaken. They end up in a convertible, running people down in the street, <laughs> yeah. running them over yeah. for basically like grand theft auto points. Yeah, it's. it's I mean, to be fair, smoke it's, to joint. It's funny to watch to watch it, but well, now, to yeah, how you watch it, but then you realize this was actually put out. To, to be fair, be I I commit uh, vehicular homicide every time I smoke weed, right. so. I mean, this I might goes just with the territory that might be specific to me, but I'm just saying, I mean, you know, not, at least it helps with so your much. appetite. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you, I'll, uh, you, you, it, I'm sure YouTube has it because it's an old film. I mean, it's it's a hilarious film to watch. Everybody knows about that. I'm kind of surprised you don't know about Reefer Madness. I'm yeah, definitely so going to check it out now. Yeah, they basically oh, you, got, you, gotta, and, you gotta watch it. Should we just yeah, watch it on so the they, show? Is it so public they, domain? Uh, yeah, I think it is, but it it, it kind of be, it's kind of, you know, I don't know if I'd really care to sit through it. I don't okay. find it that funny. Yeah, you know, I'll just, it's funny. I'll check it out just, later. Yeah, it's funny to watch, but it's just it's it's really dumb. I got you. Know? you. But I mean, what you ended up having was hip gets outlawed. They well, what they do is they make a tax stamp, and it's a catch twenty two. It's you have to have a tax stamp to possess cannabis or hemp. They were calling it marijuana. Marijuana was actually the name of a different plant, I believe in Mexico that you could smoke and it had a harder effect on you. And they used that as a term for it. That's why a lot of people stop calling it marijuana. Mm. You know, it's supposed to be called, you know, a lot of people refer to it strictly as cannabis now because they want to kill the dog, the stigma. Mm. But 
Um, if you if you possessed it, you had to have a tax stamp. But in order to get a tax stamp, you had to possess it. You had to bring it. Your <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so okay. that's how they screwed people. You know, they were like, we can't make this illegal. We can't make this, you know, because they, they can't make a substance illegal. A government can't. So what happened in the 70s, I believe, is the Controlled Substance Act. And that's when the government, the federal government said, now what we've done is we are going to control certain substances. So that's Reagan administration. No, that's... um. Nixon, I think, did that. But yeah. I think it, it might have, yeah. I, why I think, do I always get these two confused? Which one started the war on drugs? Like Nixon, that was his Nixon. thing. Well, Reagan, the what's called the war, Nancy Reagan started the Just Say No program, which was is what's related to the war on drugs. Okay. And that's what they called it. That's what I'm really Nixon, asking. Okay. Nixon started a lot of what we, we know as the war on drugs. This must be why I get him confused because the yeah. answer is both. Right. It wasn't okay. called that. I don't think they called it that in the 70s. I think that was what they called it when Reagan, you know, because every federal puts out his own fucking new version of the same bullshit policies. And Nancy okay. Reagan headed up the Just Say No campaign. That's when Derek came out. And it was like, just say no. You know, and NWA came out. We don't just say no. We're too busy saying yeah. <laughs> About drinking straight out the eight bottle. Do I look like a motherfucking role model? That's Ice Cube right there, baby. Fuck yeah. To some kid looking up to me, life ain't nothing but bitches and money. I mean, they even, they even, they're, they're, they're on video admitting it like 20 years after the fact that at least, um, uh, was, I can't remember the guy's name, but it was somebody in Nixon's administration where he like he flat out admitted it during an interview. Like twenty years later, he was like, he was like, oh, everybody knew, everybody knew the whole reason for it was to put African Americans in jail. Political adversaries also used it to target to target them, and and they combined it with, oh, you're a convict, so now you can't vote. Yeah. So they combined the two. The whole point of the yep. world war on drugs, and they knew this. They knew this. And then crack get gets introduced. Fringe elements, hippies, and African Americans yep. to prevent them from voting for the rest of their lives. Keep, keep, keep the poor down. Give yep. them And and then you had co- keep- Well, then you got cocaine, which was the rich man's aspirin. All right. And in the early '80s, you know, heroin started getting pushed out and started you know, getting pushed out of the ghettos because it wasn't as much of an epidemic. You don't see heroin in the black population the way you did then. Back in the 60s, I mean, the jazz music, yeah, it was heavy duty, you know, in the early 70s. But then you started, it started, you know, heroin kind of started phasing out a little bit. Well, crack gets introduced into the ghetto. And I've always said this, there was no, ain't no street dealer that was slinging cocaine, figured out how to make crack. I love, I love your, I love your choice of words. It yeah. got it got introduced. Crack yeah. got introduced into the ghetto. Into the like, ghetto I mean, because it's like it was, like it was purposefully it was, put there. Yeah. It was Hi ghetto, cheap, I'm crack. It was yeah. they knew it was strong. It was it was it, it could it could addict it could it was a mentally heavily mentally addictive like cocaine. And it was a productive like you could you know you could still work for a little while. If you're smacked out on junk, 
you weren't going to go function at a job. Now, crackhead don't really function that well either, but <laughs> they're going to get up, you know, and it's going to, it's going to work out for a while, but it's going to keep them down. It's going to keep you from ever saving money. It's going to keep you from ever thinking you can get out of the ghetto. It's going to keep you from working any real, you know, getting any education, getting any nutrition. And that's what it is. Alcohol has, that's the reason why alcohol was not outlawed. It was the, the prohibition. They realized, no, this shit ain't going to work because people are going to drink anyway, no matter what we prohibit. No, no matter what we put, put a prohibition on, people are going to do it. And they realized alcohol, man, that keeps people down more than anything because it's so mm. easy. So yeah, easy. You that's know? true. It's so cheap. It's so easy. And it's, it's, you know, it becomes one of the okay drugs. That's one of the worst things about the whole pandemic is that a lot of people started thinking, you know, they were joking about their alcoholism two months in, you know, oh, it's fine. I'm just, you know, drinking margaritas for breakfast again. Ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, I mean, it's funny, but it's not half a year in when people are depressed and actually drinking margaritas for fucking breakfast, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean that's that, that's me. I mean I wasn't I wasn't joking about it because there's really nothing funny about it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean you know good. I I went I went from five days a week getting off of work to go hang out with the six p.m. crowd at the bar for an hour hour and a half tops. I'd be I'd be home no later than seven thirty p.m. Um, I just I mean it's been a couple of years now since I've been actually been out like past 9 or 10 p.m um and uh and oh yeah yeah being stuck I'm a, I'm a very social person very social person so it's like being stuck on my patio it's like what the fuck else am i gonna do and play music i'm gonna get a six pack for breakfast at nine o'clock in the morning hmm. and that's what i did yeah. so i mean i'm one of those people i'm not ashamed to admit it you know that's oh, exactly I mean pandemic that's, the quarantine that's bold, that's bold. Yeah. well i mean that's you know and they it's one of the times that it's what's upset me about it so much is that it's really put everybody into that position you know it's made it to where normally you could say well look you know that's your own decision and it always is your own decision but it makes it so much harder right now because people are you know stay in don't go do anything only get the necessities, you know, you can't work, you can't, you know, this and that. So, you know, everybody's bumping their head against the door. We're, we're animals, animals get up and do shit. We have to feel, you know, we're sitting fight or flights freaking us out now. You know, yeah, I think I it mean, goes, after, after a couple of months of sitting, sitting on your patio by yourself day and after day after day, seven days a week and like, None of your friends want to come over and hang out because of social distancing and all that kind of stuff. It's like, dude, your self-worth goes right out the fucking window first and foremost. Yeah. Like, you totally feel worthless. It, uh, yeah. We, uh, trying to find ways to keep everyone together and do things, you know? It's like, I, I mean, this is one way to do it, right? Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, me, meeting you guys and like, and especially meeting Evan and actually being like whoa somebody actually wants to help me out with my music you know and then i met stan on his on his his synth modules and shit and it's like 
I mean, if it weren't if it weren't for you guys and and Evan and Stan, like I totally I never would have made it through the whole fucking year. I don't think I would have. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really glad I like, met you too, man. Like, I, I consider you a really good friend now. We haven't known each other long, but like the minute I met you, it's just like it like like we were talking about The Shining. It's like this guy, this guy's someone I can talk to and someone I I, I want to spend time with. You know. Yeah, you know, even if it even if it's only like like once a month. I mean, you know, for a while there with Evan, Evan and Stan, it was like this was my social life. Every Sunday for three hours, we'd play music. But I had that Sunday to look forward to for the whole rest of the week. Yep. Hey, has anyone else noticed that Philip hasn't blinked in like twenty minutes? I know he's got a still image. Of How are you it. doing that, Phil? How are you not blinking? <laughs> he put a still image up. That's hilarious. It's like um, <laughs> it's like uh the uh the the copycat or not the copycat, but like um, <laughs> we have like uh, it's like the the big unveiling for the museum, and then the centerpiece is just like a calling card where the the spot. Yeah. It's like a picture of the thing. That yeah, like he's like, got a he's got a whole alchemy lab in the background. It, yeah, or, or yeah. That looks like that looks like it almost looks like it wants to be like if Tesla lived in 1650. That's right. That's right? a really apt comparison. <laughs> yeah, I think I think if he had I think if he had done this though. <laughs> nobody would have noticed that he wasn't blinking it would have taken us twice as long to figure yeah, out it was we might have thought he fell asleep <laughs> my zoom is not responding oh so it's a lockup screen that's what yeah. it is that's, that's what I, it is i was thinking did did he take a screenshot and then go in and then oh, switch I his wish. background and then just dive out real quick i thought it was some super slick shit for him yeah there. that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing is one of the things that I'm trying to do is because I mean that's just in my nature and what I've always done is provide the help as far as on the music side, you know, with helping all these projects out is because everybody is going stir crazy. Well, I'm gonna kick you and put you back in real quick. Okay. I'm not kicking you all the way out, I'm just kicking you to the waiting room and putting you back. All right. I'm sorry, Neef, go ahead. That's and you know, because of uh you know, because that's what I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing friends of mine, new people I'm meeting, you know, people that I, I mean, there's a lot of musicians like Evan, who I'm probably, I know we have met on the stage years ago, you know, and there's, a, I mean, I, I probably 20 different people I could rattle off that have, I've gotten in touch during this time that are musicians that we really don't even know if we have ever met before, but we know each other at least on the scene we're like you know i know of you i know who you, you know and we understand the interest is trying to get art out get some music out get it done get it you know get it recorded get it played something you know because it's just not happening and it's not even about playing live shows you know a lot of people on the outside of it are like, oh, I miss live shows or this playing live shows. They don't really understand that it's that's that's a, a fraction of it. You know, musicians aren't about I, I just want to go play a live show. You know, musicians have to create. We're artists. We have to create music. We have to 
put it together and write it and play it and perform it together. And that's how we communicate with one another. Mm. Yeah, for, for, for me, for me, it's not, it's not about stage shows at all. Like right. it'd be really cool to get a live recording um, of doing like a one-off house show where we actually try to replicate the whole thing live to the best of our ability. And that'd be really cool to do that and invite some friends over. But other than that, like, I don't want to pack my shit up and go tour. I don't want right. to go to a no. different fucking club every sa- no. every Saturday night and have no. to have yeah. to do that, whether I'm in the mood for it or not. Right. Like I'm a that's first a and foremost, especially when it comes to the guitar. Like I'm a composer. I wanna I wanna get this out of my system, and then I can like be like, okay, I got that out of my system. Now now I can work on the next idea that I've got, and I right. can. Fo- on that and I don't have to worry about well if in a couple of years I forget my guitar line for track 10 it doesn't fucking matter anymore because I've got the studio recording it's there I got it out of my system I'm done with it I composed it I recorded it boom let's move on what matters now is this new song that I haven't recorded yet and so I've got to remember that and just you know it's like it's like crawling up a ladder one step at a time one song at a time and just like because once you get to the top of that ladder if you have no plans of ever climbing back down it doesn't fucking matter what happened on rung number one right he blinked i saw it oh oh like he's in <laughs> yeah that's a good point bob <laughs> yeah so i mean we're i think that that's the most crucial thing that I personally can give back because I know where that's at and I know the feeling of that and I'm not necessarily in necessarily the same dire straits as a lot of other people you know financially like many people obviously we're all stressing I'm stressing a whole lot more (laughs) damn it I wish I had a Venmo to plug right now anyway um, (laughs) but yeah you know I mean I figure if you know as an artist of any type you have you have to be doing something you know or it's gonna you're that's what an artist is that's the difference in somebody that just builds something or does something and somebody that really feels like they have to you know it sounds like you guys are talking about the difference between like an artist and a or uh, a uh, performer or like or specifically composer and performer. Right? Well, oh, there's a huge there's a huge difference. Like but there's I mean, also art art in performance. Like performance you know? art. Yeah. Of okay, so you're right, Neef. I'm talking yeah. about composers versus performers. Well, and, uh, yeah, and both and, are artists. Both yeah. are artists. You're totally. Right. But it's right. like I'm not a performer at heart. Right. Like, I mean, I like, you know what? I love it. My ego loves it getting a couple likes whenever I post something new on a video on Facebook and whatnot and they get some attention for it or like I mean I just hit 2,000 views on that one I saw that man video, you know it's like i like that makes me really really fucking happy and I suppose that part of it like makes me a performer in some sense but the ultimate goal for me is like is like is not really it's not the it's not the 2000 views of people watching me holding a guitar it's the 2000 views of people that are hearing the notes 
And I think there's there's the big difference there is like, is like, I mean, if I knew how to do video editing, I probably wouldn't even half the time show myself on, on the video. And sometimes I do because it's important to like, to show show, what you're doing. show show where my fingers are on the neck so that if I do forget it, I can go back to the video on my page and be like, oh yeah, that's where I had my fingers for that chord. Great. You put up a you put up a lot of like um, riff videos for like other members in the band, and I like you even tagged me in there for, for showing parts for uh, almost like you're using it like a public. Um, like where a lot of times I'm working with artists, they'll send me riffs and tracks on an MP3 on an email, you know, but rather than doing that, you're like, well, this is pretty cool. I'm going to put it up on a video and then just tag a couple of people. It always cracks me up because it is easier on that level. And then it's, even though it is just a small piece, it's out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you end up getting all these other random views from it and, you know, people are like, Oh, well, that's a really cool part. That's, you know, a cool thing. And then, I'm sitting here going, okay, what was that part right there? You know, and, <laughs> you know, listening to what you're doing further than that, because I'm, you know, trying to work up how we're going to put it down, you know? Yeah. And it, it's, it's funny too, because it's like, I, I still have no, I have no idea where that 2000 views came from. Like that video is no different than any of the other videos on my page. And I think, I think the next one up is like, I did a pedal tutorial of my rig for, our guitar pedals on reddit and i got like 460 views on that but that's because that one i actually linked it to reddit myself right. and so i got a lot of people watching it but otherwise like all of those other videos i only put them on my facebook yeah. wall and i don't have a lot of friends and so i have no idea where that 2000 the algorithm, came from. The algorithm I don't know. could be funny somebody know? shared it somebody yeah. shared it elsewhere hmm. Is, yeah, that's probably that's most likely happened. but that's a good thing <laughs> you know i mean it's you know it's a, so it's people a, are interested in it you can have some yeah. some you know gives me some, hope some doser out there putting it on repeat you know it's just like wow man this is the headiest thing i've ever heard you know <laughs> it's like they're sitting listening to it on repeat like, yeah, it, it does it does get pretty crazy yeah. <laughs> not to get away not not to get into it and give away too much but i, I just wanted to say bob i'm really excited about the project you're working on um yeah, we're getting there uh, evan and stan are finally gonna we're supposed to get a, get together tomorrow apparently evan got the day off i yeah so we're finally gonna finish up probe using the attack decay pedal and uh yeah, we'll try to get into the studio and knock that out. And then and yeah. then Stan and I at the same time could probably knock out the post credit scene in like two takes. Fuck yeah. So then we'd be we'd be three tracks down out of eleven. Bob at least what's that? Uh, about a third of the way there. So I don't know if I ever asked you. Have you ever used a Ouija board? No. We've talked about this before though, I think. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure I have asked you that. Yeah. Uh, okay, I just couldn't remember what your answer was. <laughs> we, um, yeah, I never, I never, I never got into the whole seance summoning side of the occult. I, I will say, uh, when we go to do that other thing we discussed, that would be the opportune time to use a board as well. Yeah, for sure. That the uh, drugs and and spirits go hand in hand. It's more specifically, Obviously, you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll, get, you'll get this. 
it, well, yeah, I mean, of course you understand this, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's not specifically drugs. It's all states, right? Yes, of course. Of consciousness. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we talked about that in the last podcast, yeah. um, where uh, I was talking about how, um, uh, through practice, you inevitably enchant a physical object with a state of mind, and then the object yes. itself begins to induce the state of mind itself. Right. Like it becomes it becomes um, animated, very yeah. much in the same word where where the 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 anima is the is the mm. Latin word for the soul. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Uh, that's this is um i would i would very much like to do that with you because i know you understand these concepts if that's something you're comfortable with no no I, i'm totally comfortable with it my only my only thing is that, like i guess all the way through college and and in even graduate school and even after i was i was always for the most part surrounded by people who only ever viewed it as recreation like Oh man, I'm taking a bunch of shrooms. This is so fun. I'm so fucked up. Like, look at all these colors. And I'm not, and I never have been that kind of person. When we do it, it'll be a, a very solemn experience. Yeah, it won't. I want to be in a room with people who will actively like think about, okay, what's happening to me can maintain some semblance of self-awareness and would be interested in talking about it, even if it's only at a later date, you know, because we might be a little bit too fucked up at the time to actually process some like really interesting thoughts. But yeah, I want to, I want it to be an instigator of like meaningful discussion and exploration One and not just, not just a reason right. to get fucked up on another right. Saturday because I'm stuck on my fucking patio. Yes. Yes, I'm Bob. I'm right there with you, man. That's exactly. Because I got. If I just want to get fucked up on my patio, I've got booze for it, and it's cheap. <laughs> this I I like. Okay, so on the same page, I I, I like to <laughs> explore. This is a this is a new frontier. It's not a game. It's mm-hmm. it's something to explore and understand. So when we're doing so, okay, with that in mind, before we do this, I'd like you to think about. Just, you know, I don't need an answer right now, but one thing I would like you to think about before we do this in between now and then think of questions like what, what would, what do you want to know when you sit down? Because this is something I'm struggling with. I've, I've done many seances, probably close to a hundred, but it is very hard to have good questions. You'll find yourself at the door not knowing what to ask so oh i've already put a lot of thought into this i don't know why i haven't tried it all yet especially with the with the hallucinogens like microdosing acid and shit is is my main thing my main concern is why after 30 years has my poetry hit a plateau good question i'm not developing anymore i'm not it's been a long time since I've had that quantum leap. You know, it's like when you learn a new language and I know a few, like when you, when you learn a new language, you hit these quantum leaps where it's like, like, oh shit, suddenly that phrase makes sense. And I don't need to translate it in my head. It just comes out 
And then eventually, after a few other quantum leaps, eventually you get to a point learning another language where you start to dream in it. Mm. Like one of the, one like of the start having dreams in Thai, you know, like one of the things that you're going to Thailand. I'm like dreaming in Thai, and it's like it's like that's a quantum leap. I'm learning the language. Damn. The fact that I'm dreaming in it means I'm getting it right, and I'm not at that point anymore where I have to sit there and think of it in English, translate it in my head, and then speak it in Thai. I just fucking respond right. in Thai. This and, is this is one of the things you got to really take into consideration when um, you get into taking anything that's psychoactive, especially alkaloids, because alkaloid will make language worthless to you. Mm. It will make it absolutely worthless. One of the most frustrating things to me is one of the reasons why when I take anything like that, I'm by myself. And a lot of people are afraid of that. They're like, well, oh, my well, God. You, you say worthless. I would I would just slightly split hairs and say it makes it obsolete because you're speaking well, on a different level. Right. One of the most frustrating things is when people try to communicate with words while I am at that at that mm level instead of just nodding at you and getting right because really there's it it is such a personal thing right you know um a lot of people i think one of the reasons and i get what you're saying with yeah and i've always felt that way about you know it's not something you should go party with now i'm not going to say in my youth i didn't go party with shit because sure you know but i immediately understood and the things i had read and studied about things let me know okay this is something to be respected. You know, this ain't. Yeah. I mean, a like, like a tool can also be right. like, like the way you're using it, that a tool could right. be to have a good time to let right. you know, and that's the thing is, you know, going out in the woods, it would be fun, you know, and me and my friends dropping and going and doing things, it would be fun, but we couldn't plan anything. We learned really quickly. You couldn't plan anything because you get, you know, that's when things get unfun because you are you're going very uh, egg-headed you're really turning your child back on i'll be right back face on and you're turning your child back on so you will start quickly questioning why in the fuck are you you know a lot of people it's you don't want to be inside a lot of times you'll start looking at things and wondering you know why why is it that um you know a lot of things won't make a lot of things will make pure sense to you, but it makes all the superficial social bullshit make absolutely no sense to you. And it's almost mm-hmm. intolerable. You know, that's a lot of times why people will freak out on hallucinogenics because their intolerance for the realization of the bullshit that they've been putting for themselves through really just goes against the grain with them and they can't handle it you know and uh alkaloids go into the cortex of your brain the very center and they fire some shit off and the very center of your brain is where your instincts and all of your animal nature is psilocybin i call the animal fever because when it comes on it feels like a fever because it's the poison and you start to feel more like a beast than anything you start really feeling like 
you don't want to speak about anything. There's nothing to speak. There's no, you know, none of this makes any, there's, it's mm. all inefficient, you know, um, you, I mean, I find myself not wanting to, you know, not really wanting to have clothes on necessarily to that extent, but even sometimes it depends, but almost never wanting to have shoes on, you know, mm -hmm. you, you start feeling things like, yeah. you know, you start thinking about like, you know, if you ever put something on your dog, like a, a shirt or hung something over it, and it, it, they're just like, what? you know, it just, it's weird to them, you know? Right. And, and you're like, why does that feel weird to them? It's just sitting there, you know, I'll put clothes on, you know, it's because... You've seen uh, Donnie Darko, right? Yeah. yeah. Why, why are you wearing that rabbit suit? Why are you wearing that human suit? Right. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, and that's, that's exactly what it is. It's so one of the things that I often tell people, especially when they haven't stepped into that realm or stepped into that realm often is what you're talking about with people at party and people that really, that's what the term psychonaut really means. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody can drop L. Anybody can, you know, I know a bunch of people, dude, I'll drop a 10 strip. And it's like, well, okay, but is it, are you going to yeah, learn anything? Did you drop a 10 strip and then sit in your room in the dark and do this for hours? Right. You and know. Otherwise, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing is, and if you did that, I don't want you to tell me that because that's not the point. You know. Oh. Yeah, now it's your ego getting involved. Yeah, now it's like, well, I just sat there and, you know, I mean, I can tell you some wild. It was so profound. Person. It was yeah. such a profound experience. I mean, I can tell you about contorting myself naked on the in the middle of the floor for over an hour because I just oh, felt like I needed to do it. But, you know. <laughs> Don't tell us, show us. <laughs> so, but I can't really explain to you what I figured out that day. You know mm. what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's the yeah. thing is people can tell you this big, like, well, blood, you know, but what you figure out, that's in you. It's I, not yeah. really there for you to tell anybody, you know, even the shaman would piss in the bowl and the, everybody else would drink his urine so they could share the trip that he didn't really, you know, he was still speaking in tongues anyway. Everybody had to act like they knew what he was talking about. She <laughs> made the decisions. You know, <laughs> they're yeah. just like, uh, I'm just, I've always, I've been just, I've, I've thought about about trying it, especially microdosing it in my poetry. And part of the reason is I've always been fascinated by the idea that um, uh, was it was it Francis Crick or was it Watson who um, and he's admitted this in an interview multiple times um, publicly, like not ashamed about it at all. Like we're the night before they made the model for the double helix he dropped acid and he saw it on the wall in his living room mm -hmm. and he went in i think it was crick and because crick was crick was known for doing acid and um he dropped a bunch of acid and stared at his wall and he saw the double helix on the wall in his fucking living room and then he went into the lab the next day and was like, Watson, I think I got it. And he made, he built the double helix model and Watson looked at it and immediately was like, that's it. Recognition. 
Where did you That's find it? I was it? just about to say it's pattern. It was like, and Watson immediately recognized it. He immediately recognized it and he was like, Where did you find it? And Crick was like, I dropped acid last night and I saw it on the wall. Yeah. Right. And now we have <laughs> genetic engineering and DNAs and, and keep it, modeling keep it, and all keep, this kind of keep stuff. It, keep like, it it's wild. It's totally wild. So, yeah. you know, I think, I think about that, that little historical anecdote with these, and these guys won the Nobel Prize for dropping acid. And I think about that, and I'm like, I'm like, why have I hit this plateau with my poetry? That's exactly. And I'm not evolving, and my style's not evolving anymore, and I haven't really gotten, and I can see it, and that's the thing is that like, I can. We're gonna see crack it. that skull, Bob. I can see it in the distance. Up. I'm just trying like, to like, open the hole in your face. It's like it's like I know. I can see it with my third eye. I know where it is. I want to go, and I dream about it. With the poetry, I know what it is I need to do and where I need to go, but I can't quite get there. And mm. I think that, like, I don't know. I'm fascinated by 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 Francis Crick and 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 the and the and the double helix. And you guys I think, think that like just, I might learn something from it. Just you guys know who? Uh, oh, go ahead, Phil. That it is a uh, it is a tool. Right. Yeah. It is. It is still you. Are, you still have to be the one to wield the tool. You cannot right. let the tool control you. Yeah. And that's where it becomes, you know, sort of an issue with some people is they let those sorts of things. You know, that's when they let them dominate their lives, and you know, addictions are formed, and people can't. You know, then they suffer. But it doesn't always start out with that intention of you know, ending up in that place. They may be thinking just like you, hey, this could be something to help me, you know. But uh, <clears throat> I would say that it's definitely a direction to go. I haven't explored it personally in context of my art, but it has helped me in some areas a lot uh, in finding out who I am. And that's also very important for an artist because an artist yeah. can't make real art not knowing who they are. Interesting. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I think I think I think that part of the part of the problem is the plateau with my poetry that I'm talking about is that I've reached an impasse in my own self awareness. Mm. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna figure out who Bob is. We're gonna. We're gonna get to the bottom of it. But I got, I got, I got a neat, I got a neat little analogy. Is like you, you, you guys mention it, like talk about a, calling it a tool, and it's this just popped in my head. It's like it's like a claw hammer. Hmm. You can use it to build a house, but you can also turn it around to the claw and dig yourself a grave. Yep, you can tear yeah. the house right back down too. I was telling, I, I was telling. I was telling my mom about a DMT experience and my mom's very religious and, you know, she just has her best, my best, she has my best interest in her heart. And she's, she's like, you know, I understand what you're saying. You know, I, I was telling her about the experience and I was, I was describing it as a tool, a way to better yourself. And she said, you know, I understand, I understand what you're saying, but the analogy she gave was a child getting into their parents' 
uh, a child getting into his dad's tool shed. It's like the, the tool shed's locked for a reason. There's things in there that you're not supposed to touch. And they can be dangerous. Like, you know, you the, the blowtorch is up on a shelf out of your reach for a reason. You're not supposed to go do that. You know, that doesn't mean you, you can do great things with a blowtorch, but you can also hurt yourself or hurt others. So, and, and I, I, you know, when she said that, I was like, you're right, mom. That's, that's exactly right. Like people do need to be careful with these things. Don't mess with blow torches, Alice. You know, <laughs> it's funny that you brought, uh, uh, or when you said that about, uh, you know, using the blowtorch to not only hurt yourself, but to hurt others. I feel like <clears throat> some of that comes into um, the way that we uh, talk about these things like psychedelics and things like that. Um, there is a there is a danger and when we yeah. mess with these things we know what we're doing with them now I didn't always like what? especially concerning like boards like the Ouija board I've had some some dangerous close calls and I, I will be the first to tell anyone watching this that you need to be really careful when you're when you're fucking around with spirits you need to be, you need to know what you're doing. You need to do a little bit of research before you jump into that. Because I, I learned the hard way. Because, well, I mean, that's the thing is you can only do so much research and learning before, without, you know, practice lab. and Yeah. You got to go know, get hands experience. on. But, but it's more about, you know, you can always say, you know, make sure you know what you're doing, but that's kind of, you know. I, uh, it's kind yeah. of arbitrary. I think it's more to say you need to be prepared to take the responsibility that, of right. your actions. You're and right. that's what a lot of people don't do. You know, it's like I've done a whole lot of things I didn't know jack squat about, but I didn't grab a buddy and say, hey, I do know about this. Let's go do it. Or you do it. You know, I went and did it. Yeah. And I tell people, what I've, you know, and I try to do that with all experiences of life, no matter what it is, to, to preface, preface everything with, you know, as far as I know, you know. Yeah. Or in my experience. Yeah. I'm going to put that above a bat. I'm going to make a backdrop banner that says that. <laughs> I That could be wrong, but from what I know. Right. <laughs> what you're touching on, like, I'm definitely guilty of that. Like, I've, I've, um, you know, when I first started using the board my first instinct was to tell everyone about it and try and get and try and show them you know which i still do that sometimes but it's like yeah i i self-admittedly don't know what i'm fucking with here so i mean you're taking a risk i'm letting you know but you are taking a risk when you sit down with me like it's not i i uh, i i'm i've done this a lot and i feel pretty certain that we're going to be fine because I, I kind of do know what I'm doing. I, I've been through this before, but it is one of those things where it's like, you know, if, if we get, if we go all get in the car together, there is a chance we could get hurt. Of course. Yeah. But it's like, it's like, um, what was it? Was it, I can't remember if it was Phil Hine or Peter Carroll in the uh, Psychonaut mm. movement who said that uh, laughter is the best banishing ritual. Um, that yeah. was... Peter Carroll, I believe. 
was it Peter Carroll? Yeah. yeah, it was Peter. It was Peter Carroll. And um, and you know, there's a lot of veracity to that. And also, it was it was Phil Hine who had said, uh, you know, we're too important to take ourselves seriously. Yeah. And and this goes along with the whole lines of the chaos magic thing, where it's like it's like it's like just laugh at it before mm. walking out the door. You don't need to put on a robe and pick up an an an, an, an a fame and a ritual dagger and fucking face the pentagram and shit. Like just fucking laugh at it, laugh at it. Because like I mean, there's there's this there's this old old school occult term uh, that we use. It's a chapel perilous. And if you guys aren't familiar with chapel perilous, chapel perilous is basically it's a headspace that you get into when you study the occult and you take yourself too seriously. And oh. people who are like extremely neck deep in chapel perilous are the ones who like develop some kind of like temporary schizophrenia where they think that they're being they're being haunted or they think they're possessed ah, or they think that somebody okay. is casting spells against them and, and they, they're surrounded by suspects and they're this perpetual victim and they've taken themselves way too seriously. And, and that's where the, what I was, what I had mentioned to Philip earlier, that's where, where the self-awareness comes in and, and, and it's, it's, it's really, really important mm. to, um, you know, chapel, to recognize chapel perilous. Chapel perilous is what it's called. It's a, it's an old school term. I don't think it. I think it came out of the um, Blavatsky, Rigardi, um, um, Mathers uh, movement in the occult revival of the late eighteen hundreds and the early nineteenth, okay. early twentieth century. Yeah, um, I, I don't think Alistair Crowley mentioned it specifically in those terms, but it was very much a um a common term at the time and some of us some of us who studied the older stuff still still use it and so yeah, yeah chapel perilous is where like like it's chapel because you've become religious about it okay i was just and about to say perilous, it's like perilous because because it, this is a dangerous place right. to be it's, in it's, it's a it, really dangerous place to be it's in a, it, yeah it's a chapel causes, that doesn't lift you up it it's yeah. perilous it, it it causes it causes psychosis and this is not this is not the abyss i mean the abyss is something completely different than the abyss is a really good thing if you know how to deal with it if you can find your way into the abyss and come back out and not find yourself sitting at a pew in chapel perilous you're good you're golden that's fine but yeah chapel perilous man and i i, I see it all the time in in some of the uh like the um the uh, occult group that I was in for a while with Marlo, uh, Keith, um, that, that Marlo and I had helped to start. And it was like, people would come and go where they were just like freaking out, asking for advice. Like I'm being haunted. Like I read 777 by Aleister Crowley. And now I think my neighbor is casting spells against <laughs> me and shit like this. And these people like you're laughing, you're laughing, you're laughing because you are already of the mind that laughter is we're the not, best banishing ritual. We're not in right? I mean, you're, or, you're, or, you're already there. So it's not a worry, you know? And if you weren't already there, I wouldn't be comfortable talking about making plans to do acid with you. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> like, but yeah, yeah. Chapel perilous is a very, very real thing. It's a really real thing. And it really fucks so, people's heads up. That's like to take, that that ideology outside of um 
outside of the occult or the studying of that, you can apply that into the political spectrum. You can apply that into the dope spectrum. You oh, know, yeah, for sure. You know, it's people that have, you know, gotten so far into some philosophy that all of a sudden they think that this philosophy has explained all the issues that the other philosophies are failing at, you know? And so that's why people don't really, I think that's what this world is suffering from right now. Hmm. Is, is exactly that chapel perilous everybody's at the fucking pew going you're not going to change my head about this at all because i've right. i've figured it out <clears throat> this is the fucking church i need to kneel at oh you know? yeah as if as if one doctrine can suddenly do what the other one did <laughs> <laughs> that's right man that's right yeah i mean that's why it's one of the it's one of the reasons why I take a materialistic approach. I take a materialistic approach to everything occult. Like even if we don't have an explanation for it yet, there's a reason for it. And at some point, we will be able to explain lucid dreaming and astral projection and all that other kind of stuff. At some point, we will scientifically, whether it's with an EEG or or whatnot or brain imaging and this kind of stuff like like the imagination is a powerful thing and no. i mean i'm sure everybody in this room right now and everybody listening has had a dream before that seemed so real that when you started falling you literally felt it in your gut as if you were going down oh. a roller coaster hill yeah like i mean your imagination can literally control what you physically feel in oh. your body mm -hmm. I never thought about. Or if you've it. ever, yeah. or if you ever been on you VR, wake up when you hit. If you've ever been you in hit, virtual reality, yeah. have you ever? Have you guys ever done virtual reality mm -hmm. where you, where oh, you, shit. where you see well, yourself right. jump, jumping off a ledge? Oh, dude, that and happens to be in video games. One of the, the, one of the games. Say, yes, it happens in video games. Where, first like, person shooters increase your pulse because of that. First person shooter, you're amped because you know. Yeah, even but even even in third person in a video game, you're like, let's say you're playing World of Warcraft and you jump off a cliff, right. you start falling towards the beach yeah. and you fucking feel it in your gut. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Feel it in your dick. Yeah, <laughs> your imagination can control right. your physical your your physiology, like, and it's fascinating. And one of the first one of the first um ex, ex, explorative um virtual reality demos i think that john carmack had put out was where you walk all the way up to the steeple on a church and you come out on a platform and then you jump off and it was specifically designed to test whether or not the virtual reality would cause that physiological reaction in the Jesus. body that's I, I, mean, I never thought this, about that this, but you're right this, the way this shit's real it's it makes real. you feel literally it makes yeah. you yes, physically it feel. does it, what you it see is your imagination has physiological control. And what oh. you see is your reality, and your mind only knows that. And so when you trick it, it you know, you, you can know that, but the synapsis is still fire. Yes. And your body still is gonna do what it does. Just like yes. I mean, even down to the adrenaline rush, you know, you play a game online and you know, like a survivor where you're you're playing other people online that almost everybody you see is going to kill you and take everything you got. It's just a game, but you still get this amped feeling when some oh, other yeah. player comes over the hill and you're like, Oh shit, I got to fight this dude. 
Man, you know? if you if you've ever played uh, Dark Souls, you get <laughs> that adrenaline rush feeling with every boss that you encounter. I mean, Dark Souls is designed for that. Like right. it's like designed to create physiological change in you to get designed to create going. physiological stuff. Oh, it's, it's fascinating, man. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Dark, Soul, Dark Souls is so hard. It is now used as the term for harder than the like extreme. Cuphead harder. is like the Dark Souls of platformers. Yeah, yeah. No, I no, I'm not kidding. It'll it'll say, you know. No, I know. Um, it's difficulty level. Difficulty level: easy, medium, hard, extreme. Dark Dark. Souls. Yeah. And that's you know that's the peak. Yeah. Dark Souls is a hard game. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, what, is, what, is, what is it? It ain't dark, no Ghost and Goblins. You know what I'm saying? Dark, dark Souls is the <laughs> wait, no 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 no. Uh, 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 Bloodborne is the Dark Souls of Dark Souls. <laughs> I just get stupid at that point. It's really yeah. <laughs> like how meta can we make this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Oh, but it's I mean, it is it's really it's really 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 fascinating. And on 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 that on that point, like let's let's take it a step further. So, um, <laughs> so I've been I've been practicing fucking around lucid dreaming and astral projection for about twenty years now. Mm. And and um, ever since I started getting into um, uh, Carl Jung, yeah, when I was when I was, I was introduced to Carl Jung by a professor when I was nineteen, and I I really kind of. There's a lot about Carl Jung that I disagree with. Um, uh, his mandala work, I think, is convoluted bullshit. Um, I'm not so sure how I feel about the collective unconscious. Um, we can go into all sorts of stuff. I don't but... think Jung is sure how he feels about that either. It's such yeah. a fucking, such a weird. Well, thing. well, it's the kind of thing where it's like his his man, his mandala analyses of his supposed patient who painted these mandalas i'm pretty sure that young painted the mandalas himself oh and okay. created a fake patient in oh. order to make an argument that he wanted to make when he didn't actually have any real life data oh um, yeah yes i mean we we that that's a whole that's a whole rabbit hole unto itself but i started getting into his publications on what he called active imagination, which is basically it's it's Western active meditation, um, and what we would normally call in the occult community visualization. So you close your eyes, you visualize a triangle in front of you, and then the next step is you visualize it spinning, and then the next step is like maybe you visualize like a dog or something, and then the next step is you start to visualize a dog running, um, and you can progressively make your way through these tiers, essentially, leveling up, if we're talking about video games, <laughs> leveling up through these different tiers of visualization difficulty. And then eventually you can get to a point where I've got, I've got exercises that I teach people in the philosophy group that I used to be in with Marlo, um, where you visualize yourself looking at the sofa in front of you and then you visualize yourself moving out of your right or left side of your body around the room 
until you are sitting on the sofa across from you looking at yourself. And oh, shit. Oh uh, man, it, it it gets it gets into some really really wild and difficult stuff. Um, like I've got a, I've got an entire curriculum that I've got written out. I've just been too lazy to write the damn book. Um, but yeah. it's like it's something like I think I've got something like 24, 24 exercises that eventually take you to the point where you are visualizing yourself stepping across from yourself, looking back at yourself. Um, and can you visualize the room and everything that's behind you? your actual wow. physical body um and maintain that 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 thing i wonder um, if you have that much discipline because you haven't done psychedelics because it's like that's that's i kind of i've leaned on i've that. been asked that before on multiple occasions yes and that's one of the reasons it's another one of the reasons why i've kind of been so, off. coming um, coming as far as you have yeah now doing it is this gonna that's gonna just take you and turn it to 11 so you're gonna <laughs> we should try to ask or project oh, but this one goes to 11 yeah <laughs> <laughs> we got the spinal tap reference so so okay so we're going going with that now i have this i have this idea that when people ask me it was like what's the difference between lucid dreaming and astral projection and 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 from a materialistic perspective because i've astral projected probably close to a hundred times um and been to some weird places you feel it you literally feel like you are lifting off from your body escaping your body like i mean the feeling is all there hmm. but i take a materialistic approach where i don't think that you actually leave your body i think it's all just your imagination controlling the feelings in your physiology through your nervous system um now I have this, I have it's this serious saying. mental hacking you're doing. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Men mental hacking. So, but I have this, I had this saying where, where, well, so what's the difference between a lucid dream and astral projection? Lucid dreaming is where you have control over the content of your dreams in hindsight. Astral projection is when you have control over your dreams in real time. Okay. So it's like I can, in, I can, when you I when you have it. a when you have a lucid dream, it's all about like, oh, I can control the content of my dream. I'm making decisions. But you're not actually making those decisions until after you wake up and you realize that you made them. In hindsight, looking back on the dream. Yeah. With astral projection, you are literally awake enough still to the point where you are actively making those decisions in real time oh, wow. in the dream. So the only time I've ever lucid dream, I was reading. Oh, we lost Bob. Bob's gone. Well, you know what? We've been going for a minute. It, it, we, yeah. He may pop back. Sometimes the connection will kick out for a second and then I'll... He'll jump back in. We'll see. Maybe he'll shoot a message if he's if you know his phone might have died or something. Who knows? Or he's on his laptop. Well, this might be this would be a good time to end it anyway. Well, well Alice. Yeah. <laughs> sorry that Bob just you know fell off of the table real quick. Yeah, he'll be back. 
He'll be back. He just fell down a different rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. It happens sometimes. Yeah. We leave them under the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah. Uh, Alice, thanks for uh, being here. Uh, but the Bababo will return at some point. Absolutely. Um, and um, yeah, we, we are on uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Spotify now. So any, any way uh, that, that you want to uh, in, in, intake us. that content. Yes. We've, we've put it under more chairs now. Yeah. <laughs> Our goal is all chairs at some point. Should have a rabbit hole beneath them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. That's. Um... Oh wait. Hey, Bob. Okay. Where? Uh, sorry. False alarm, Alice. Bob is back. Oh, see, he climbed back up out of that hole. Bob hey, are we still here, guys? Yes. Hey, sorry about that. I was wandering around on my patio for too long, and my laptop battery died. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I got the charger. We're backed up and going. So. So yeah, okay, so I was talking about how like it's 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 really it's really it's gonna it's really kind of weird and hard to explain, but like when you have a when you have a lucid dream, you you you're you're dreaming this content and then you're like, you know what? I'm gonna jump and I'm not gonna come back down. Or I'm gonna fly, or I'm gonna walk through that wall, or I'm gonna jump into that shark's mouth and I'm gonna come out of its ass, or whatever it is that, that you're doing and you're having this dream and you are controlling it to an extent, but it isn't until after you wake up that you realize you were controlling it. I kind of get what you're saying. Because you know saying like, yeah. when you have a lucid dream, like a, a, regular, a regular dream, you're not controlling shit, you're just observing. But when you have a lucid dream, you controlled it in hindsight. In hindsight, in the sense of like, you don't really realize that you were controlling it until you wake up. Astral projection is when you are, you are completely controlling it and you are, you're like, let's put it this way. Let's say like a dream, you're 100% asleep. In a lucid dream, you're like, 50% awake and 50% asleep. When you astral project, you're 80% awake and 20% asleep. Just to pull bullshit numbers out of my ass to give an example. I got you. So it's all about how much of your consciousness you shut down. Yes. Yes, entirely. Okay. It's all about, it's all about how much, how much you, how conscious are you? That's one of the reasons when you're trying to do any of those, especially like lucid dream, you have to worry about um, sleep perilous because oh, yeah. when, when your body falls asleep and your mind hasn't, your body, yep. you'll feel the perilous because your yes. body fell asleep and you're not used to that. That's why it tightens up and it is hell, the, man. Some people will go through mental shit and they'll see faces and get really freaked out. I've and, experienced sleep yeah. paralysis. Yeah. And that's, that's that, the, that, that's I've the, only experienced it physically where it just hurts so too. bad that it was like my muscles are tense up. I didn't have any visions or any freak out like that, but I was just, it literally, I had this Charlie horse all over my body. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it was only because I had 
read that warning when I was looking into how to do it, that I knew what was going on, you know, and it happened to me, I think twice it's happened to me where I went to sleep perilous. And I mean, it was, you know, it took me another hour and a half to actually go to sleep. You know, I had to, you know, wake my body back up and feel all right. And then just go ahead and go to sleep, you know. Uh, sleep paralysis basically that that's the 80 20 that i'm talking about um and i actually i actually every every time that i i i try to try to teach people about visualizing in order to like to to get to a point with a lucid dream on a regular basis and this sort of thing i always call sleep paralysis is the diving board to astral projection you're there. You're in the conscious, semi-conscious state of mind to the degree that you need to be in in order to exit your body. All you need to do from there on out is get used to the fear. Hmm. Overcome the fear and then you can jump out. So is that, would you say that is that what makes it, so is it the fear that makes it the sleep paralysis? Like, is it? Yes. Okay. So yep. if you were, if you went into it, into the mind, you know, and you were prepared for it, that would not be an issue for you. I think that it's, because see, I was pretty mentally prepared for it, but I think it goes back to your body's natural reaction. You know, just like we're talking about when you're, you know, and sure. when you're visualized, <laughs> you know, you put on a VR, if you know, you're not jumping off a cliff, but your body is still going to do that. So I knew that it wasn't, I wasn't afraid of losing or jumping out of my body. It's just that I wasn't used to only turn, only letting my body go to sleep. And so when yeah. that happened, no matter what I felt about it, my body was just going to react. And yeah. that's why, I, and I think well, that some people talked about freaking out. They would see faces and get these crazy visions and it scared mm -hmm. the shit out of them. I think that's that level. If you go in with a, a, a mind frame of, I'm not afraid of that the physical pain is what you got to worry about because I mean, I was as clear as a bell, you know, I was kind of pissed. I was like, God damn it. This sucks. Cause now I can't even just go to sleep. Cause I mean, I was, I had, I turned over in the bed, you know, and I was just sitting there just like, God, you know, I'd never felt, I'd felt that before, but not all over my body. You know, it was literally like a fucking Charlie horse, but it was my chest, my arms, everything. I just clenched up, you know, but because yeah, you were because you were trying to escape it yeah you know yeah and then I but that, that's 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 what i mean when i'm when i'm when i say when i say say about fear is that it's 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 a physical it's a physical instinct mm. where you're still awake but your body is asleep and so you're terrified by that because you can't control your body and like I mean, well, of course you would be. If somebody gave you a paralytic and allowed you to remain conscious the entire time, of course you'd be freaking the fuck yeah. out. Like, why can't yeah. I move? Yeah. You know, that's it's yeah. an instinctual physiological fear. Right. And I mean, I could I could move though. I think that it, it manifests itself as the watcher at the gate. What yeah. you're talking yeah. at the faces that you're talking about is what we call we, we call it the watcher at the gate. And I, well, I just read about those or her saw people, you know, when I was studying it. And so that was one thing I worried about. And I was like, well, no, I didn't see any, you know, I didn't have any mental freak out and I could move. I wasn't paralyzed as, you know, the normal, but my body was physically so tensed up that yeah. 
you know, I, I, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good time for me to go fight nobody. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't about mm -hmm. to get up and run around the room, but you know, I could, I turned over in the bed. I, it, just, it was just, there was no getting over this and it came the way it came over me. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I worked out a bunch or oh, I did this and now I'm feeling that come in a few hours later. This was just like, bam. And I was like, that's how I knew I had hit something. And I was like, okay, I just, I, my body fell asleep. Damn it. You know, this, this hurts. God, this sucks, <laughs> you know. So and the, um, the, the Watcher at the Gate takes on many different forms. You know, there's a documentary about the Watcher at the Gate on Netflix. Mm -mm. What's it called? Um, it's a documentary about sleep paralysis and and the um the like fiends that people see like where they'll have like a presence hovering over them while they're paralyzed and whatnot mine i i think i think i went through it about a dozen times or so a little bit more than that um and it was it was invisible and it was a presence that basically sat on my chest preventing me from exiting my body until i finally finally got over it and i had i had created this this dream ritual which i call the diaphragm bomb and it's basically whenever i get sleep paralysis and i feel this thing that's trying to tell me not to come out it's like i i imagine all this energy welling up in my diaphragm and then i boom just exploded out like like you know in a in a in a like a like a radius like a shockwave like a xenomorph coming out of your chest <laughs> more, more, more like more like a shockwave right well that makes sense that you say a bit a, 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 every single time it goes it goes away and but well, that now, makes sense because i've the, gotten to the point where my watcher at the gate just doesn't even come around anymore so well, that makes sense because the tightness I felt more than anything was in my chest. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And, you know, because like I'm saying, it was not oh. mental at all. I didn't have any kind of mental like fear, but it was literally like my chest muscles were tensed up, you know, not my heart or anything like that, but just literally like my, you know, and it was so freaking weird. You know, I remember turning over and just, you know, so that makes a lot of sense that it, you know, if you're trying to project out of your chest, if that's what you're trying to come out of, and the watcher of the gate has to say is something that's either trying to come and freak you out, or like you're saying, literally sit there and hold it shut. So its purpose is to is to keep you from leaving your body. It's it's a it's an imaginative manifestation of your fear of exiting your body. Okay, that's my take on it. Gotcha. Yes. So in that instance, it works to to keep you from a, from escaping in whatever way that it knows it can. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like you've gotten to a point where you realize that you can astral project mm -hmm. and have this out of body experience, and your fear, physiological fear kicks in, and your imagination manifests this entity that basically sits there and prevents you from okay. taking the next step that's crazy because the, doc the documentary is called the nightmare right. yeah it's awesome it's super creepy too like the um the special effects they use to like recreate people's people's mm -hmm. anecdotes and whatnot 
it's really it's really good it's like it's a documentary but it almost feels like you're watching a horror movie at the same time i highly recommend it it's really cool i'll definitely check that out my uh it's 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 crazy because i i have only gone through sleep paralysis uh one time and uh i remember i had a dream and when i dream a lot of times i'm watching myself in third person i hardly ever dream in first person um so i'm watching myself what is this you tell me oh, yeah there we go like... ah. <laughs> i like it nice nice you reminded me oh, oh shit that's not there we go <laughs> <laughs> i love the horse <laughs> yeah yeah the horsey so this is a depiction of sleep paralysis. So when you said that, Bob, I was like, holy shit, a watcher demon that sits in your chest? I've seen that before. And I was yeah. like, I went and looked this up and I'm like, yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Yeah, so he would he would he would be the what you would what we call the watcher at the gate. Hmm. I actually I actually wrote, if you guys don't mind. Let me see if I can pull it up. Hold on. Something funny happened with my view here. Oh, shit. Can you guys hear me? Control mm -hmm. it. Okay. There we go. Search on Facebook. Watch her at the gate. <clears throat> <sighs> hmm. Yeah, sleep paralysis demons. That's um. Uh, I here we go. Can can you guys hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I wrote I wrote this a while back, um. Based on, based on my personal experiences. Of the watcher at the gate. I do not fear the watcher at the gate. Too many tendencies, too many thoughts, too many doubts, too many lights or moths, too many deep apologies, too late. I do not fear the watcher at the gate. I will not let you lead me toward the hate. I will not live the consequence or cost. I will not pay my debts. What's lost is lost. I will not fear the watcher at the gate. I've tossed too many whims into the wind. There's nothing to regret or to rescind. I'd rather rest here half awake and wait I will not fear the watcher at the gate. Mm. Yeah. Dig it. Be bold. Bold as love. Bold as love, baby. <laughs> well, gentlemen, this is, uh, it's been fun. We, uh, always, always fun. We, we talked about sleep paralysis. We talked about spirits. We talked about psychedelics. We talked about love. We talked about courting. Yeah, we went all we went down all the holes tonight. Because they were all under the chairs. We've been in so many rabbits' holes. It's like bestiality. Neef's <laughs> <laughs> like Neef's face. <laughs> That's funnier than the joke. That was worth it just for that reaction. Oh shit. Well, it was it's been a pleasure courting the three of you. <laughs>